Well, last week you remember that Pastor Ronald shared from Genesis 126. And does everybody know for, by memory, the first statement in Genesis 126? Let me just say this. Genesis 126, the first statement, God's statement in Genesis 126 is the expression or the announcement of his determined eternal will and decree. For us, everything about my life and your life, may I repeat that word? What word did I just say in the beginning, Patsy? Everything about my life and your life, everything is connected to and bound up in that verse. If you want to know anything at all about something in your life, what to do, what not to do, where to go, how to, whatever. The answer to that prayer is within the context of that purpose. This is not just something that God has given and an additive and we can do other things. This is the absolute reason for us today sitting here as the redeemed people of God. Amen. We have been saved for this purpose. So what does it say? Let us make man, humanity, Adam, A-D-A-M is the Hebrew word that Ronald shared last week. Let us make man, folks, right? Let us make man in our image after our likeness. That encapsulates everything about my life. So if you're wondering about it and all that, go back to Genesis 1:26, or hopefully you have memorized it or you will memorize it and ask God, Father, would you cause, do whatever in my life by the power of your spirit to produce this reality and purpose effectively in my life? Amen. That's what you're called to do. That's who I am. That's who you are in Christ. This means that God's purpose for us is that each one of us would bear the image of his glory into all of the earth, into all of the earth. You see, then in verse 26, we read how God's purpose is to be filled, fulfilled by Adam and Eve. Okay, here's my purpose. You're going to be those in whom I will dwell in a way that my glory will be distinctively displayed, effectively and dramatically displayed in and through my people. And the whole earth will be filled with this great glory of mine. How? How? Well, verse 28, the Lord tells you how, tells them how. And God blessed them and said, now here's how it's going to be done. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue the earth and rule over or have dominion over the earth, over every living thing that moves upon the earth. So you see, we were created to be God's earthly agents who would bear the image of his great glory 
into all the world as we collectively, corporately multiply, go into the world, subdue it, rule over it, have dominion over this earth. Now, you remember this also in Genesis 2.8. The Lord placed Adam and Eve into a garden. Remember the Garden of Eden. And in that garden, that lo earthly location, this great purpose of God is to be manifested and is to function within the context of this garden relationship, in the context of this garden atmosphere. This is where the glory of God is to be maintained and lived out. So that as Adam and Eve and their children after them, had it not been for sin, would grow and grow. And some kind of way, and we don't understand it, the garden would expand more and more into the field. Remember, the field was out there. And more and more until the entire earth was filled with the glory of God. So that the earth becomes the very physical presence and throne of God. The garden being that to a small extent because it's just a small garden in the world. But then the whole world be would become literally the throne of God. So what does Genesis 2.8 say? The Lord planted a garden toward the east in Eden. And there he placed the man whom he had formed. Now, it will be in this garden, this garden, that God and man would walk and work together in perfect harmony. That's what happens in this garden. God and man would experience perfect communion and fellowship. In this garden, man would enjoy the uninterrupted pleasure of God's love. Sounds like a nice place. In this garden, there is no sin. Can you imagine that? No worries. Anyone have worries in here today? I think we all worry to some extent, don't we? If you're not worrying, I need to worry about you. <laughs> There's no worries. There are no tears of sadness anyway. There are no fears. There are no conflicts. There are no relational disruptions. And, and just thinking about some of the issues of today that have been accentuated, there's no injustice. There's no injustice. You see, in this garden, everything is according to God's intention. Everything is manifestly, clearly, and continually revelatory of his presence, of his nature, and of his character. This garden is the earthly location of actually what it is to dwell in this divine human fellowship. That's what this garden is all about. It's just not cabbage patches and peas and whatever. Certainly they had vegetation there. Obviously they had animals. But what does it mean to God? It meant that he and humanity would be able to dwell in relational unity and fellowship 
forever. Now, Adam's ability to fulfill this purpose, to walk this way, to have dominion, to rule over, to continue to walk with God in fellowship, Adam's ability to do that depended upon just one thing. Just one thing. Remember what Genesis 2, 16 and 17 says? And the Lord God commanded the man saying, now notice he didn't say, hey, I have a suggestion for you. I'd like you to do this. This is a command. This is an absolute fundamental requirement for walking in fellowship with God. It is an absolute requirement for walking in a healthy fellowship way with God. From any tree, I'm sorry, from any tree of the garden, you may eat freely. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you shall surely die. The curse, die. Everything that Adam was given to do, all of the possibilities, all of the enormity of life, all of the great potential depended on one thing. You see that tree over there? Don't eat the fruit of just the, of that tree. Now, how many of us? Come on, come on, let's be real. Come on. You see, Stephen, had I been there, I wouldn't have touched that thing. I wouldn't have gotten near it. Right, brother? If that's all there is, and that's all we have to do to walk in a perfect relationship with God, how many of people, how many of you are with me today, you would think, I would never do what Adam did? Come on, come on. Only about four of you? It's just one thing, one thing. How many things are we bombarded by today that we give in to eating of that thing? Constantly, continually. Adam just had one, Jonathan, just one. I mean, this guy had it on easy street. But then something happened. Chapter 3 happens. Into this garden comes an opposer, opposition, an attack. And the serpent was more what? Crafty or subtle than all the other beasts of the field out there in of the field. And so we have a talking serpent. Now, Eve isn't going, ah! Some kind of way, this wasn't unusual. And the question to Eve is the question to every single one of us, every single day, through every temptation. This is temptation's question always. Hath God said? Do you believe it? Do you believe it? How many of us occasionally, when we're being tempted, or we have opportunities, I wonder if it would be okay if I, I wonder if it'd be okay if I said this, if I go there, 
if I think that. That's never the voice of the Holy Spirit. Who said right? Say it louder. No, no, say it louder. No, no, go ahead. I love it. No, no, I love it. Say it right louder. Thank God for a lady who will say right. Thank God for someone who will belt out in church to say something that confirms and agrees with the word of God. Be boisterous in here. I'm not quiet. And if you get too loud for me, I'll turn off my hearing aids and I'll yell with you. Someone not too long ago said, brother, when you were saying this, the Holy Spirit really, and I felt like jumping. Get up and jump. This is the household of God. We are the children of this great God. Amen. If there's any place for yelling and screaming and jumping, this is it. Not out there. This. It's better in here than it is out there. Can someone say amen? amen? I like that. I like to hear you. Why? Because I know that we are together in this. I forgot what I was talking about. <laughs> what were you screaming about a moment ago? <laughs> someone help me. Where am I? What? Hath God said. Old people get off track easily. Hath God said. Every time you hear that question, I wonder if. Immediately shut it down. Right, Michael? Immediately shut it down. The Holy Spirit never speaks like that. It's the enemy. And the result is verse 3, the last three words of Genesis 3, verse 6, rather. Do you see it? It's in your notes, maybe. Remember Eve? In verse 6. But then at the end of verse 6, she handed it to Adam, who's right next to her. Do you see it? And he ate. Finished. Everything is finished. Add to the garden's presence and God's presence with us. As a result of that, all humanity came under sin. All humanity. And also this, and this is where I want to begin. Sorry, I feel the Holy Spirit wants us to emphasize. Not only did all humanity come under sin condemnation and the curse of sin and death. And Satan became the God of this world. Remember 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4, in whose case, talk about the blinded, blinding of the uh, believers. Satan has blinded the minds of the unbelievers that they may not see the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. There is a malevolent enemy out there. If there is a savior, there is an enemy. Amen? It's preposterous to believe that Jesus is the son of God incarnate, but we don't believe in the devil. How clever. 
How clever. Of course we believe in a devil. Satan has become the god of this world. And listen to the last part of this verse in 2 Timothy 2.26. So that humanity is now what? Now listen to this. It may be in your notes, hopefully it's held captive. Do you see that? Is it in your notes, held captive? Well, write it down, 2 Timothy 2.26. Very important. This is who we are without Christ. Our wills, our wills, our wills. No such thing as in a man's ability to have free will to choose for Jesus or not. Held captive by Satan to do his will. This means this, that we have absolutely, before we're saved, absolutely no ability to withstand temptation. Now, come on. How many of you can tell me, you know, I was tempted to lie the other day, but I didn't lie. Before you were saved, how many of us, before we were saved, were tempted in a few areas and we didn't do it? I mean, we did, didn't we live without, before Christ? Deciding not to do certain bad things. Anybody in here live like that before Christ? Well, certainly you did. Well, you see, I overcame temptation. No, you didn't. You just moved that temptation into another category. And your resistance was sin because it wasn't of the power of the Holy Spirit. Aren't you glad you came? Before Christ, nothing. Would someone repeat that word? Nothing. We did was pleasing to God. This is why we needed a redeemer. This is why we need the, the intervention of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 2 tells us we were dead in our trespasses. I've done a lot of funerals in my day. I've never seen the dead person move. You know what I mean? They're going to... There's nothing there. There's no life. So, Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden, the presence of God. So what does this mean? God's purpose will not be fulfilled. Don't you ever believe it. What God has purpose to do, it will happen. What God purposes to do will always happen. Write this down, Philippians 1.6. Philippians 1.6. You can take notes. It's good to take notes. I am persuaded, the apostle says, of this very one thing. That he who has begun a good work in us, what is that? The work of salvation. Anybody quote the rest of it? Will what? Bring it to completion on the day of Christ. What God begins, God always ends. I know we're not sure about that all the time, and I understand the feelings. So what's happening? They've been expelled from the garden. They've sinned. It is now utterly, completely impossible for Adam and Eve to bear the image of God's glory anywhere 
less alone into all of the earth. It is now utterly impossible for Adam and Eve to take dominion and subdue the earth and to fill the earth with the glory of God. They can't do it because of sin. Because now, rather than being under the domain of God, they have now been put under the domain of Satan, who has become the God of this world. And in Genesis 3.15, you remember that great promise. God is going to send another man, the second Adam, the last Adam. And this man will not fail where the first man failed. Amen. May I just do something real quick on the side. Adam was tempted in the garden of Eden and he failed. Therefore, he lost the presence of God. Jesus was tempted in the garden of Gethsemane. Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. The horror and the terror of the cross was invading his soul. There's the temptation. Can we do it another way? Hath God said. But what were the last words? Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Keep this in your mind. The greatest cosmic battle of all time did not happen at the cross. The cosmic battle for man's allegiance and obedience to God happened in the garden. God's will was one in the garden. As this man said yes, where the first man said no. Now we go to the cross to make the payment of what the first man did by this second man who said yes to God. Now he will go to the cross and in himself bear the full, final, and forever burden penalty for Adam and our sin. Yes, you may say glory. This second man, this second Adam, entered the garden. And where the first said, I will not obey, the second, in horrendous temptation, being crushed, bleeding from his forehead, said, I will obey my father. And then he goes to the cross to bear the penalty. The battle is in the garden. The payment is in the cross. And in the resurrection, God announces victory. Yes, yes. You see, that's how it works. Don't think the cross is the battle. Ain't no battle there. There is payment. Satan is finished in the Garden of Eden. The shackles, the chains of sin, and the authority of Satan is forever broken in the cross. And given to us in the good of that breaking by the Holy Spirit in our salvation. That's how it works. You see, this seed is Christ. 
And the Lord tells Satan in 3.15 of Genesis, I will put enmity, hatred of this evil being against the Son of God between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, and he will bruise you on the head. Genesis 3.16, Galatians 3.16, the apostle Paul tells it by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This seed that Genesis 3.15 talks about is Christ. So make sure we get all this correct. So at the cross, Galatians 3.13, Paul says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. How much of the curse? Say it again. All of it. I like loud mouths. I thought that was your grandma who did that. <laughs> For it is written, curse is everyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus hung on a tree. The cross is wood. It's a tree. The result, we are forgiven and we are restored to the presence of God. Ephesians 1, 7, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Forgiveness of how many of our sins? Every single one. From the moment I'm conceived in sin to the last moment when I take my last breath, the totality of my life is gathered up onto the shoulders of the Lord Jesus where God places the totality of my life of my disobedience, of my being in Adam, he places it all on the shoulders of Shechem, this burden bearer. And when this Shechem in John 19, 30 says, it is finished, how much of my sin has been paid for? All of it. So don't you be burdened by the enemy to say, I wonder if God is going to forgive me of this one. Tell that lying fiend to go to hell. That's where he belongs. Hi, people in TV land. I forget. What is it called? Live stream. Excuse me. Do we get this? We have to get it into our souls, into our souls. Is where we need to get it from our heads into our souls, into the very fabric of our breath. I need to get going. Keith didn't give me two hours. As a result, we've been brought near, Ephesians 2.13. We've been brought near. In the garden, they were near. In Christ, we are near again. He is our garden. Amen. And listen, and I want us to concentrate on this especially. Colossians 1.13. Is it in your notes? Is it? Yes or no? Okay, write it down, Colossians 1.13. It is one of the most staggering and significant verses in the entire New Testament. We have been forgiven. We know that. But too often we minimize this part. Colossians 1.13. Can anybody, does anybody know it by heart? If you don't, you should. Come on. I mean, when I was an English teacher, you had to learn the parts of speech. Do you remember those things? You had to learn the coordinate conjunctions. And I don't know about four yet. In order to pass the final. Oh, give it to me again. I'll learn these. We have a final exam. 
We have a tempter who's coming to us regularly. And if we don't know these verses and know who we are in Christ and what he's done and the good of it, whatever, we're going to be succumbing to his temptations regularly. Or as they say, regular. Colossians 1.13. God has delivered. What tense is that? Past tense. God has delivered us from what? It says either rule or domain in your Bible, correct? From the domain. Remember, take dominion, Adam. Remember, take dominion from the rule. Rule over them. God has delivered us from the rule, the domain, the God of this world, of Satan, and has done what? Transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. If this isn't in your notes, write it down. In Christ, that means you're saved. If you're not saved, this doesn't apply to you. Write this down if it's not in your notes. In Christ. Am I going too quickly for you? I, notice I didn't say we. I want you to get it personally. I am forever. Say it again. You need to sit up closer next time. I am forever freed from Satan's authority over me. As long as I'm in Christ, I'm under his authority and not Satan's. You can't be under two authorities at the same time. It won't happen. We are now between two gardens. There's a new garden coming. You can read about those gardens, that garden in Revelations 20, Revelation 21 and 22. The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. Heaven and earth becoming united. And I will be their God and they will be my people. There will be no more tears. No more sin. We will have a garden that will eclipse what Adam and Eve had. And this verse particularly I love. Revelation 2, 22, 4. Just a few words. I love it. And they, meaning usins, will see his, God's face. How many of you, when your children or your grandchildren left or whatever, and when they came back, what brought the smile to your face? Seeing their what? Face. All of a sudden, you beamed because you were back in face to face. Forever relationship. Revelation 22, 4. This to me is the quintessential meaning of what God has done. We're going to see him face to face and we're going to dwell with him face to face. Correct? What a God we have. 
at what a cost. But his purpose will be fulfilled. But you see, we said this. In order for Adam to fulfill God's purpose, make sure we get this. In order for Adam to fulfill God's purpose, what was the single requirement? Obedience. Obedience. In order now for us who live between the two gardens, we are under the same mandate. But until the second garden, we are restored to the second garden, we don't have the fullness of experience and revelation of the mandate. We have it positionally, but we don't have it experientially yet. There is a thing, I'm going to heaven when I die, but there is a thing, heaven's in me right now and I'm in heaven right now. I just, I'm going to be released from this body and come into the fullness of God's presence, amen? To experience the fullness of his presence. That's the difference. We have God now in by the Holy Spirit, but then face to face. I remember years ago, let me just talk to you and digress maybe from the notes, whatever. So you'll be okay, but take notes if you need to. And I think you will. I remember years ago, and I don't remember how many years ago. I think I was probably typical of many believers, maybe all. I had a desire to do the things of God. I had a desire to please God, to obey him. Now, if you don't have that desire in you, you're just not saved. Can I put it succinctly? The desire to please God, to obey him, is that desire given to you and operative in you by the Holy Spirit. Come on. If so, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't have the desire. Yet, I was failing, failing, failing. You may be here today. I just can't get it right. And I remember asking the Lord so many times, so many times, AJ, help me. Help me to do better. Is this connecting with anyone? Help me to do better. Give me what I need to do better. Then one day, the Holy Spirit came in like a freight train and said, I've done everything necessary. I've given you everything necessary. I don't feel, you know, I'm just not experiencing it. I want to experience a life basically of victory over temptation. I don't want to sin purposefully. The difference was in the meaning of two words. And Ronald talked about those two words last week. And this is where I want to bear down today in the last few minutes. The distinction between the word authority and power. 
we too often get the two confused or think they are of the same kind of meaning, and they are not. Exousia, authority means the right to exercise whatever it is that you're going to do it. You have that right in constitution and law as a king, you know, etc. You had that right. So thems who are under that authority, if they don't go along with the authority, suffer the penalty or the results of not going along with the authority. Got it? And power, that activity that is able to touch our feelings and desires and experiences and manipulate us to be in agreement with what it's wanting us to do. Are you following me? I wasn't getting the two clearly distinguished in my own mind. So let me move along with this. The bottom line is this. When we were given the Holy Spirit, when we were saved, we were transferred. Remember that? We were delivered from the domain of Satan, the authority of Satan, and we were transferred and put under the authority of the Lord Jesus. Now we are no longer Satan's puppet. We are no longer Satan's puppets. We are no longer Satan's puppets. Amen. Yeah, but brother, you don't understand how I feel what's happening. Okay, so you've been incarcerated. You know what that word means? Yeah, gay old jail. I like that, gay old jail. You're in prison. You're guilty. You've been locked down, right, Mike? You're guilty. You're locked down. You ain't got the key. You cannot get out. You don't have the freedom and the ability to get yourself out of jail on your own. No matter what some preach, you don't have it. You haven't been given the key. It's God's key. And anything the jailer says to do, you better do it. Because if you don't do it, what's going to happen? You're going to be sorry. In the 50s, I went to military school. You obeyed. Whew. There wasn't anything about civil rights in those days. <laughs> but Jesus has unlocked the cell. He's unlocked the cell. And now... That means authority to encage us. The cell of sin has been unlocked for us. And ain't nobody going to take the key out of Jesus' hands and shut us back in there. Amen? That ain't happening. It's not happening. So what do you do? You see, the jailer comes in again. Now the cell's been unlocked, Carrie. The cell's unlocked. Do we hear it? 
The cell at the cross has been what? Unlocked, unlocked. It's no longer locked. But the jailer comes on in. Satan comes in and he says, okay, you do this and this and this. Now, my experience over all these years is to do what he's telling me to do, right? That's what I experienced. That's the only kind of life that I've ever had. I don't know any other kind of life than to do what he's telling me to do. So I automatically, if you would, do it, even though I don't want to do it, I try not to do it or whatever. Here's the question. Write it down. It'll be on the final. <laughs> Can the jailer relock the cell and make me do what he wants to do? Can he or not? Can he or not? He can't make me do it. I may choose to do it, but he can't make me do it. Get this. Please get this. The authority to make me sin has been forever canceled at the cross. Satan no longer sin, no longer has dominion over me. He cannot, through any temptation whatsoever, make me sin. Now, do we get that this morning? If you don't get that, you're going to continually fall for the deception and the lies and the whatever of this former jailer. And when we realize that, Kay, now we can begin, get up, walk to the cell door and begin to do what? Push it open and begin to walk outside as those who are no longer under the regulations and the incarceration of Satan. So you're now you're walking outside and then all of a sudden you hear, hey, you, and you hear that voice of temptation. You know, those temptations that get us so quickly and the jailer through that temptation, Billy says, do it, think it, be it, go back in the cell. Oh, yes, sir. yes, sir. <laughs> And that's how we're living if we're not careful. Now, we say, God, help me. What do you mean, help me? He's done everything. Jesus can't go back and re-die. What do we have to do is when we hear that jailer's filthy lies, when we hear his temptation, his lies through whatever the temptation is. Don't care what the temptation is. Simply don't care. See, my wife cannot make me sin. When we hear the filthy lies and the deception of that enemy, when we smell his acrid, poisonous breath, do you know what I mean? You know how it is? Turn around and facing. Don't run. Facing. Jesus didn't run from Satan. He what? Faced him. Don't go hide. Facing. 
Don't cry. God, God, face him. We are in Christ, the victor. And when that enemy says to us, whatever, feel this, go there, do that, whatever it is, by the Spirit, we know that is wrong. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, depending upon the presence of power of the Holy Spirit, we face him. Stop whimpering and running away because he can outrun you any day. And what do you do? I'd have to do this regularly. Satan. Oh, yes, I speak to him. Not where yet, bro. How you doing? Satan. You may write this down if you like. You cannot make me sin. Colossians 1.13. Anton, Satan cannot make you sin. Mary, Charles, Satan can't do it. Can't do it. You cannot make me sin. Hmm? He cannot do it. Therefore, therefore, what? I will say it. Come on, say it. You said it, what'd say? Not sin. Do we get this? This is not rocket science. This is basic hum- uh, Christianity. This is what God has done for every believer. Absolutely. It's not just for the preacher who's been saved for all these years. It's for the believer who just got saved four seconds ago. You are as much constituted as a victor as I am. We just have to walk it out. I have no more victory potential in me than you have in you. We all are equal in this. The next time you feel the temptation to say a nasty word, to have a nasty desire, to be jealous, to feel left out, To feel sad because you didn't get something that you wanted. You know how these are? Hmm? All this stuff. To cut off someone in traffic. You hear that? (laughs) (laughs) To laugh at silly pasta jokes. (laughs) The next time we... What? Smell the breath of our enemy. You ever smell temptation coming? Come on. At that moment, face it. You have no authority over me. You cannot make me sin. Therefore, what? I will not sin. If you don't do it, you ain't getting it. Now, I am not going to say the propensity is this. Now, today, what I want you to do, Celeste, is go home and try this. I don't want you to try anything. I want you to do it. 
You ever have children who are going to try to eat their broccoli? <laughs> Mama, I'm going to try to do my homework tonight. What do you know? They're not doing their homework. Take that word try out of your vocabulary. God never tries anything. He does. And we are not to try this. We are to do it. Those who obey my will, he says, or my disciples. The next time that smell begins to permeate your soul, you feel the temptation coming. Are you, are you with me on this today? You feel it coming. You feel it on the inside in your guts. You feel it. At that moment, discern, not the Holy Spirit, but Satan. And the moment you do that, and the Holy Spirit will tell you, in the spirit or physically, however you want to do it, stand up and face the sucker. You cannot make me sin. Colossians 1.13. Therefore, I will not sin. Be gone. Get out of my face. Then, once you've done that, and I'll have to close. I have learned to ask the Holy Spirit. Cleanse my thoughts. Cleanse my desires. Cleanse my feelings. Wash me. Wash me. Scrub me down in that area. You just show me an area. You see, I can't try to do anything. But I can obey to do everything. We are given the mandate to be the burden, I mean, the image bearers of our God. There's no greater, no greater joy, no greater responsibility. And it all will be done on the basis of our obedience or not done on the basis of our disobedience. So do we have to sin any more purposely? Hmm? No, no, there's no way we have to give in to any purposeful known temptation. No way. I hear people say, hey, I sin every day. Well, you might sin by omitting something and not even realize, but there's no way when a temptation comes to your mind and you, whatever, and you realize what it is, there's no way you have to give in to it. We can walk as Romans 8, oh, help me, Ronald, 37, 30, I forget. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So today, here's the admonition. Let's leave today as those who are literally no more than conquerors. Amen. Let's stop sinning. Thank you for being here.